Um, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to summarize the book of Ruth. And you might think, why the book of Ruth? Because it's a foreshadowing of Jesus. And it speaks of his lineage, which is tied into what happens here in Bethlehem. But I first want to read the account that um, Dr. Luke gives us in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And um, it's hard to read this without hearing Linus um, in our ears um, from Charlie Brown, right? And, um, and, and this is the account. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which means what? House of bread. The bread of life is going to be born in the house of bread. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. We're talking about King David, right? Verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. It's basically a feeding trough. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is this born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Not, not where you'd expect to find the king of your people, is it? But that was the sign that was given to them. Verse 13. And suddenly there was a, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was. The angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. So the city of Bethlehem. I mean, don't think of big city. Think of little village. And you have a better idea of what it would have felt like. Now, granted, there was a census going on, so the city... And the village would have been swollen probably beyond its capacity of, of, you know, normally indicated by the fact that there's no room for an inn, a place for them to go and, and to lie down. And so they go and they find themselves in a, in a place where the animals were kept. And this is where our Lord was born. We're very familiar with the significance of Bethlehem and the Virgin Mary. We're very familiar with this, you know, account of the, the King of Glory 
Isaiah chapter 6. If you, ever, if you haven't read Isaiah chapter 6, read Isaiah chapter 6 and read it knowing that you're, you're getting a, a heavenly view of Christ before he was born. And the train of his robe filled the temple and the angels were singing and there was thunderings and there's lightnings. And as you go through the different accounts of heavenly scenes, you see the, the glory of God like a light show going off and just refracting off the crystal sea. And there's all of this worship. And there's all of these angels going about. There's this marvelous uh, robe that Jesus, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ is arrayed in and then he was born. And he comes lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, rags that have been stitched together and able to wrap him up. And we know this scene. We're familiar with it. And it's, 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 it's one that touches our hearts to think, oh, Lord, you would come and you'd be born like that in Bethlehem. But there's, there's another event that happened in Bethlehem that was foreshadowing what we just read. And it's found in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth was written to show us this foreshadowing of a redeemer that would come in the city of Bethlehem. And I want to restate the story to you. It's a, it's a love story that happens at harvest time, but it is a foreshadowing, a prefiguring of Jesus. And you'll see how it all ties together. Ruth was a Gentile. She was a Moabite living across the Jordan River. Um, in the land of Moab. And a family had traveled from Bethlehem. They owned land there. They had property. But what took place was a famine had hit. So you have the house of bread that has no bread, right? You have Bethlehem, and there's a famine going on. And so they sell their land. They leave because they can't grow anything. Well, when they leave, they go over to Moab because they hear there's food over there. So they come to Moab, and you have Naomi, um, which um, in some cases people would say her name means sweetness. She changes her name to, anybody know what she changes her name to? Mara, which means what? Bitterness. She has a husband by the name of Elimelech, who, which means God is king. And she has two sons, Malon and Kilion. Malon means <laughs> uh, fragile, and Kilion means uh, sickly. You can almost predict the way this story is going to go, can't you? <laughs> and so they travel over there, and when they get there, Malon marries Ruth, and uh, Chilion marries uh, another Moabitess by the name of Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. And they are um, there, they have no children, and the two sons and the father die. And now it's just Naomi and her two daughter in laws. And she says, I'm going back to Israel. I'm going back to my people. Um, you can stay. And or Orpah says, okay, I'm going to stay. And Ruth says, no, no, no. I'm, your God's going to be my God. I'm going to be by with you and follow you. And she had become a worshiper of the Lord, no doubt. And we see this, her faith expressed in the way she follows and obeys the word of the Lord. So Ruth and Naomi come back as two widows. Naomi now has no children, no husband to care for her, and Ruth has no husband to care for her. When you read about two widows going back to a place where they don't have a home, you should infuse into that story desperation. Now, we, we don't really see it that way so much in our 
in our country at this particular time. Um, women are able to go and get jobs. Women are able to provide for themselves. But if you, if you dial back in history, that's not the way it always was. And women without sons were vulnerable. Women without a husband were vulnerable. Not because there was something deficient you know, within her or you know, females, but simply the way the culture was. How were you going to provide for yourself? How were you going to be able to, to, to um, eat? It was a scary time. And so when we read this story there in the book of Ruth, you see two desperate women coming back home. And one of them is beaten down and she's changed her name to Mara. Well, as they come into town, it's harvest time. And Naomi says to Ruth, listen, in the law of Moses, there is this, this uh, opportunity provided to poor people like us. And we are able to go out into the field at harvest time. And whatever the harvesters drop and whatever is in the edge of the fields, you can pick that up and you can bring that home. And that will be food for us. And so this was a, a welfare program that the Lord established for the poor of the land. So she says, go find a field, go out. And so Ruth goes out, Naomi stays home. And um, as Ruth gets there, the owner of the field, and his name is what? Who? What's his name? Boaz. Boaz sees Ruth coming into the field. and He's like, wow, I want to get to know her. So he goes up to the, uh, those that are harvesting and he says, hey, if this lady comes behind you, Make sure you spill a whole bunch. Because again, according to the law of Moses, you could pick it up once, but not twice. So if they dropped it, then the gleaners, the poor people of the land, would come behind and they would pick that up. And he says, and if she goes into the wrong part of the field that we haven't harvested, leave her alone. It's okay. I don't mind. So at the end of the day, Ruth, naive to it all, comes back and she is just laden down. Um, with, with grain and Naomi's like where in the world have you been today and she goes I don't know it's this field of a guy named Boaz did you say Boaz yeah Boaz and she says oh honey the Lord is taking care of us we're going to be fine because there was another law and it was the law of the kinsman redeemer and the word redeemer, it's a, it's a very common word both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is goel. And it means to redeem. It means to ransom. And in this situation um, where a redeemer would come along, there are three. So we think of Jesus as the redeemer of our souls. And that is where our minds should be locked on. But there's a whole background, there's a whole culture, there's a whole world of meaning that is behind this Redeemer. The kinsman Redeemer would redeem three types of things. He could redeem a field, he could redeem a person, and then he could also redeem a name, if you will. You'll see what I mean by that in just a minute. So if you um, fell on hard times, like Elimelech, and you had to sell your property, you would sell it to somebody and there would be a fixed price. You would get a scroll, you had a title deed, you would put all kinds of details on the inside, on the outside you would seal it, you would write your names on it, you would give a few details of summary, and it would be stored away. It was a record. So you, you could you know, prove that you bought it. But if your cousin said, you sold the, the land? And he said, yeah, I, I just couldn't do it. Why didn't you come to me? Oh, I don't know. I didn't think you were interested. Oh, I'm interested. He could go back to that owner now 
who's outside of the family and say, I'm a kinsman redeemer. I am a goel. I'm going to buy that field. And he, you know, the price would be predetermined of what he had to pay in order to redeem it. Why? Because God, if you remember back in the days of Joshua, gave the land as an inheritance to the people of Israel, and he never wanted the land to go outside of the families. So he always provided. It could be through kinsman redeemer, or it could be at the year of Jubilee, the 50th year, when all debts would be forgiven, and all property would go back to the family who was, was, you know, had been handed down to through the ages. But a kinsman redeemer could come by the land. A kinsman redeemer could go and buy a person. So maybe you not only sold the land, but you sold yourself into slavery because you had no way to provide. The cousin could say, well, I'm going to buy the land, but I'm also going to buy you back. And he would go and he would find the price that you had sold yourself into slavery. How many years um, had you sold yourself into uh, slavery for? Seven years. It's been six years. He would pay the price of six years. And he would redeem you out of that contract or out of that slavery. The third way in which a redeemer would function is, and this is where it begins to relate, is that if you were a woman, and you were married into a family, and your husband died, and you did not have a child, then it would be up to one of the brothers to take you, or another uh, close relative to take you, and to marry you, and then that first child that would be born would, would be in the lineage of that deceased husband. So here she is. She is married to a Jewish man. He is deceased, and she has no child Naomi knows all this. She knows all of this. And she realizes that nobody comes home from gleaning with the load of grain you have unless somebody is showing favor to you. So she instructs her on what to do, which is essentially go and, prepare and, and, and um, uh, propose marriage to Boaz. So here's an Old Testament story of a woman preparing, uh, uh, proposing marriage. She goes to him goes through this ritual, which was clear to Boaz, that says, hey, um, you need to be my kinsman and redeemer. And he says, I'm in. I'm all in. But there was somebody that was closer as a relative than him, and it was his older brother. So Boaz goes to his older brother and says, hey, remember that land of Elimelech? Yeah, I was so sad Elimelech. He died. He moved away. So, well, Naomi's actually back. And you know, nobody ever bought that land. We're kinsmen redeemers. We can buy that land. And he says, that's a good piece of land. I'm going to buy it. He said, well, okay, great. But, there, but there's one catch. Um, uh, Malon, you know, Elimelech's son, didn't have a child. And so his widow, a Moabitess, she is here. And you're going to have to raise up a child for Malon. And he's like, you know, I don't think my wife's going to go for this. So... Uh, I'm going to pass, but you know what? You're single. You're available. Why don't you do it? He goes, you know what? I think I will. So he ends up taking both Ruth to himself as a wife and raises up a child, but also purchases that land. Um, does anybody know what the name of the child, the firstborn child of Ruth and Boaz was? Obed. And Obed had a son whose name was Jesse. And Jesse had a son whose name was King David. And this city that they are in is named after 
is, is the city that King David had come from. And so this is the lineage that he has come from. But how does this relate to Jesus? Well, we got the lineage point, right? But there's more to it than just that. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus looks down upon this earth and he doesn't see two widows. He sees a planet full of desperate people that are in trouble and left to their own are just going to be consumed by the circumstances of sin and this world. And the Lord says, I'm going to send you. But you know, a kinsman redeemer had to be able to do three things. A kinsman redeemer had to be a relative. You had to be of, of near relationship. You had to be able to pay, and you had to be willing to pay. You could get the first two. You could be a, a, a cousin, and you could be loaded with shekels, but you may be unwilling to make the payment. And so you wouldn't actually carry out being the kinsman redeemer. So you had to be a relative, you had to be able to pay, and you had to be willing to make the sacrifice of payment. How about Jesus as our kinsman redeemer? Well, we got a problem here because he is divine. He is in heaven. I mean, he is not human flesh. He's not near of kin. He's our maker, but he's certainly not near of kin. And so we know why Jesus came to this earth and was born there in Bethlehem as a baby and grew up as a man so he could be, a, be like us. He could be in the human race. He could be a kinsman. Was he able to pay? Yeah, he was able to pay because he's the only man that was without sin. And whoever was going to cover the price of our redemption had to be without sin. And he was willing to make the sacrifice. When they came to arrest him, he submitted himself to that process. 750 years earlier, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the prophecy is given that in Bethlehem, a ruler would be born that would go... Um, and take care of Israel, whose goings forth are from everlasting. And Jesus is that ruler that was born in Bethlehem, the same place where one kinsman redeemer, centuries earlier, in the days of the judges, had redeemed a bride to himself. What is the price? We don't know what the price was that he had to pay for the field, Boaz, but we do know what the price is that Jesus had to pay. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 for as much as ye know that we are not redeemed with corruptible things as, like silver and gold from our vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but, here's the payment, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The price that had to be paid to redeem this planet and get the bride was the shed blood of a sinless sacrifice Savior named Jesus. And so he was able to make the price. And in 1 John 4.10, we're told that this is the evidence of love. This is still a love story. The story of redemption there in the field in Bethlehem when Boaz redeemed and was a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, it's all about love. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ancient love story. But the redemption that Jesus is carrying out is still a love story. 1 John 4.10 and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the covering for our sins. Jesus came because he loves you. Jesus came because he loves me. And Jesus came 
because he loves this world and the many that don't know him. Jesus gave a parable about the kingdom. In Matthew 13, 44, he says, And the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It'd be like you buying a house and you do an inspection and you're just kind of walking through and you happen to move something and you see that the walls of this house are, are just loaded with gold. You're like, yeah, I'm going to buy this house. And so like, you can't afford it, but you go and you sell everything you have because you know that when you buy that house, that's really just okay. You're going you're gonna to make out because there's treasure. But that's the way the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who's going to buy a field, but he's not really buying the field. He's buying it for the treasure that's in the field. And the earth is the field, and we are the treasure that's hidden in the field that Jesus is coming to buy. And again, isn't that just like Boaz? Was Boaz after a field? Boaz was not after a field. He was after a bride. But he had to take the field in order to get the bride. And isn't it interesting that as Boaz took a bride, he took a Gentile bride. And that the church has predominantly, not exclusively, but the church has predominantly for the last 2,000 years been a Gentile bride that Jesus took to himself. Not in any way to exclude uh, those that are Jews to the Jew first and then the Gentile, a clear teaching of Scripture. But Jesus came to redeem, which makes us kind of wonder, well, if he came and he paid the price and he redeemed, then why does the field still look all messed up? Well, again, if we could use that illustration from maybe real estate once again, you can go and you can come to an agreement and you can sign the papers on that piece of property you're going to buy, but you don't usually get it right then, do you? There's a whole process. I mean, I think about the process we went through to buy this place. I mean, we bought, we signed, and then it took forever for us to even get to the place where we could close. And then, then after we closed, I mean, it didn't look like much. We had to then put all the effort into it. Hey, Jesus, he's done everything that's needed to be done. The papers are signed. He's made the payment, but it hasn't transferred ownership yet. It's going to. He said, well, you got a verse for that? Actually, yeah, I do have a verse for that. It's Hebrews 2.8. You have put all things in subjection under his, Jesus' feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, which means one day we will. And he will come and he will redeem and he will rule and reign over this field called the earth. But it wasn't just a planet he was after. He was after the treasure. And this tells us of the love. So you see, there's an incredible parallel and beautiful picture that the Lord was painting. I mean, the Lord is all into foreshadows. He's all into types and prefiguring. And Boaz is that type of Christ who came and redeemed a bride that was in desperate uh, straits. And he's come to redeem you as well. Now I realize most of you, you're already in the, you're already a part of the bride. You're already part of the church of Jesus Christ. But maybe some of you aren't. Maybe some of you have not come to Jesus. And you know, when you look at your life, it does kind of feel like a desperate situation. There's not peace. There's no hope. But there is hope in Jesus. And there is peace in Jesus. And 
the first Christmas gift that was ever given was God giving his only son to this world that we might not perish, but that we might have everlasting life. I realize most of us, maybe not all of us, and there's no condemnation in that whatsoever, but most of us are probably going to exchange Christmas gifts, or we have already. I'll tell you what would be a really rude thing to do, so don't do this. If your wife gives you a gift and you say, I'm just not into gifts, I don't want to open it, don't do that. That would be a rude thing to do. If somebody gives you a gift, you, you, you take it, you open it, and you express your gratitude for it. The first Christmas given, gift given was Jesus Christ by our Father in heaven. You've got to receive it to yourself, though. You've got to take it. Oh, he, he made all the actions. He moved first. He's the sovereign God that's moving. But the sovereign God has said, you must receive. And if you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to do that. And it'll be the best decision that you ever made. So as we wrap this up here, like Ruth, you must know that you need to be redeemed. You must know that you're in that place where you need a Savior, where you need somebody to forgive you and to ransom you from the slave market of sin. And like Ruth, you not only need to know it, but you need to desire it. When Naomi said, hey, we need to be redeemed, Ruth would have said, yeah, I know. And when Ruth said, hey, this Boaz who's taken interest in you, you, you could go to him. And, and so it wasn't enough just to know it. She had to desire it. But it was, knowing and desiring is not enough either. You can know something and you can desire something. This is one of the frustrations that probably a lot of us have about different aspects of our life and our habits and our, you know, the way we do things. We know it and we have a desire to change it, but then we don't get to the place where we actually walk it out. There came a moment when Ruth had to go into uh, you know, the threshing floor where Boaz was and make that, basically she had to propose to him and said, listen, I need to be redeemed. Are you willing to redeem me? And he said, I am. And you may think, well, I don't know. I don't know that Jesus would want me. Jesus has already made that clear. He's come to redeem you and this world. And although there was a question, and we didn't know as you read this story in Ruth, how is this going to turn out? Is Boaz going to be willing to do all this? We don't know until we read the story. And then we find out, oh, he's really into it. But here's the thing. With Jesus, there's no question mark. He wants to redeem you. And he has given his life. He's bought you with his blood. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Sin is covered by the blood. This is why they sacrificed animals in the Old Testament. But they, they could not be a complete covering. Only the, only the Lord could do that. And so all those that worshipped in the Old Testament, they worshipped in faith, believing that one day a Redeemer would come. And that Redeemer, that Goel, is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you that you saw our desperate need. You saw us, just like Boaz saw the, the needy widows, and was willing to step up and take care of them and provide for them. And Lord, you have done so much more than Boaz. You have redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. You are our Goel. And you did it because you loved us. Not because you were obligated to, but because of love. 
you came and you redeemed us. And we just want to thank you. We want to remember in this Christmas season that our Redeemer, our Goel, born in Bethlehem, did it because he loves us.